When you think about female country music artists and the towns they grew up in, you're probably thinking about places like Muskogee, Oklahoma, Longview, Texas, and Mascot, Tennessee. But for one emerging new talent, the unlikely town of Massapequa, New York, on the south shore of Long Island, just 45 minutes from Broadway, turns out to be the perfect place to find the next rising artist in country music, Carolyn Miller. Working as a professional actor since the age of eight, Miller's background in musical theater, film, and TV created a foundation that allowed her to develop her own style that captures the true essence of country pop. She's also attracted some of country music's top songwriters and producers, including Lance Carpenter, Jesse Lee, Forrest Glenn Whitehead, and Jamie Moore. With over 300,000 streams to date, continuous airplay on country radio, and an ever-increasing social media fan base, Carolyn Miller has started to make a name for herself in Nashville. And there's no sign of her slowing down. I ain't gonna flatline. I'm Charles Urich, and this is Life in the Grooves. Here is my interview with Carolyn Miller. I think you mentioned to me in an earlier conversation that your parents told you when you were a baby that, oh, she's going to be a singer. And I wanted to know how did your parents foster and encourage your musical development? Yeah, I mean, they they recognized it in me from a very, very early age. And it started out as a joke, kind of what you alluded to. You know, I'd be They'd be rocking me three weeks old, be like, la, la, la. And they'd always say, oh, this kid's going to be a singer when she grows up. And, you know, when I was two years old and running around and we'd go to church, if they blinked and looked the other way, I'd find my way onto the altar and they'd have to pull me off the <laughs> altar. And I think it was a stage in my mind. And every family party, every gathering, I was always singing and putting on shows so you were just a natural born performer. Uh, I take it your parents really embraced that theatricality. <laughs> yeah, which is so funny because, you know, my parents are not performers. They're not like, oh, let me sing and entertain for you. And so it's just funny that I came out of the womb kick- kicking and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> How important was music in your home? And what were your parents listening to? You know, the music was always very celebrated in my house. My parents had a great, cool stereo system, I remember, from the time I was little. And they were always playing CDs. There was always music playing. There was always music in the car. Mm -hmm. My mom really loved Celine Dion and Whitney Houston and these these big, you know, voices and these powerful women. And Mm -hmm. my dad loved Guns N' Roses and Uh ACDC and Aerosmith. And then, and then honestly, the, the Broadway cast recordings, I mean, growing up again outside Manhattan, my parents from the time I was little, were, they were taking me to Broadway shows. And in fact, just the other day, cleaning out my childhood bedroom, I found a card for my aunt on, on my fourth birthday and a t-shirt that says my first Broadway show. And it was seeing Beauty and the Beast for my fourth birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For my daughter, I think it was the Lion King at that age. 
yeah, I mean, it's just, it's always been around me in one way or another. So being exposed to all of that great music, all of those powerful female vocal performances, that must have had an impact on you. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I can remember listening to all those CDs in the car and, and the first song I sang on stage was when I was six years old at my dance recital. You know, I was saying I did a lot of dance when I was a kid and um, my, my musical theater teacher realized I could sing. And so for the dance recital, they actually had me, I think, close out act one singing greatest love of all by Whitney Houston when I was six years old. That's how, you know, act one of the dance recital ended. And so, I mean, those were songs that I was listening to all the time. So, you know, you combine that with some of the rock edge from my dad. I think it definitely has impacted my overall sound and sort of that pop rock Mm. contemporary country uh-huh. with my musical theater background it's it's funny it all it all's a part of it yeah amazing you mentioned that you really started performing professionally around the age of eight um yeah. can you tell me about like your first real professional gig do you have a a memory of that first experience yeah my first big thing was um gosh i think i was nine and i did a national Kmart commercial. Wow. And it was one of the big back to school ads and Rosie O'Donnell starred in it. Mm-hmm. Um Jesse McCartney was in the commercial who grew on uh-huh. to be, you know, a pop teen mm-hmm. sensation and stuff. So that was my first one and that was cool. I mean, I can remember being shuttled from Manhattan to the set in New Jersey and living on stage or, or on set for three days uh in an old school in New Jersey where we shot this national Kmart commercial with huge celebrities it was a lot of fun. So how did your career then continue to progress, you know, through like your elementary school and then ultimately into your high school years? Yeah, I mean, I, I continued to book more commercials, started then booking voiceovers. From there, started doing um, developmental theater productions. I would often be cast as the child role in a lot of these musicals that were being developed in Manhattan and uh-huh. simultaneously had some film and TV spots too. So it was a lot of just trekking into Manhattan, a lot of hours on the train with my mom and doing, bringing 40 pounds of textbooks because schoolwork was always the most important thing to them. You know, school came first. And as long as I continued to get the grades that I got, which, you know, were always A's and Mm -hmm. then they would keep doing what they were doing for me if I continued to hold my own in school. And I always did. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'd be on set. Sometimes then we'd have to go to the schools and say, Hey, I have to be on set for three mm-hmm. days. The The state by law has to give me a tutor. So please let me know the curriculum for the next week so I can pass it on to the tutor. And then in high school, you know, the teachers can get a little more anal about things. So then you had to like make it a work study program and you had to get creative in the way you, you kind of made it work and balanced everything. Mm-hmm. And I just continued to, to juggle it all. I'd be in school during the day and then often right after school that bell rang ninth period sometimes mom would have to pull me out a little early or whatever it was we'd be getting on the train going to the city whether it was for an audition a callback a rehearsal filming a a vocal coaching lesson an acting lesson and then it would just repeat all over again the next day wow i mean that's kind of amazing because you have this incredible amount of experience and i'm sure that 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 really has to have guided you and helped you in terms of your work ethic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've learned all the lessons of the industry, you know, since I've been eight years old. Like I've learned 
you know, getting down to the wire when it's you and one other person for your dream role and, you know, you're three inches too tall to play the daughter where you're a little bit close in height to the mom and they really want that height difference for a mom and a kid on stage, you know? Mm-hmm. I've filmed scenes for 20th Century Fox movies where they're in post-production and, no, this scene and this character's gonna be in the film, you're going to be there, and then you and all your friends and family go to the movies that day to go see your scene and your scene never shows up because it ended up getting cut. You know, these are... It's just the realities of the business that you learn at a very young age. And so that combined with the way my parents enforced my education and my schoolwork, you know, you learn discipline, you learn sacrifice. And at the time, it's just like, this is great. I love this. But now looking back, it definitely prepared me for everything that I've done over the last, you know, 20 years. Somebody must have hurt you bad to make you hurt me the way you do. I don't know how you could treat me like that when all I ever did was try to love you. I got a full tank of gas and my bags are all packed in the back of this SUV. I'm leaving you all the rest. All I'm taking is what's left of me. We were just listening to I'm On My Way, a track from your 2018 debut EP, Unbreakable. Now, it seems like you were well on your way after all your success as a young actor. So when it came time to start the next chapter of your musical education, did you have an idea of uh, what you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, I I knew I wanted to go to school for musical theater. Um, I My eye on the prize was at <laughs> the best schools in the nation you know mm-hmm. it was I was looking at Boston Conservatory I was looking at CCM I was looking at University of Michigan Carnegie Mellon for me it was like if I'm going to go to school for musical theater I, I I knew I wanted to be at a, at a certain level of a program and the thing that I loved about Boston Conservatory and what they liked and appreciated in me was they were supportive of the background that I had and the resume that I had already built whereas some of these schools you know, would sit me down and be like, okay, you're coming in already a member of Actors' Equity, already Screen Actors Guild, already AFTRA. I mean, some of these schools, my resumes were bigger than the teachers, you know? And so I was in a very unique situation and and Boston Conservatory embraced that about me and were proud that like here I was wanting to uh, better my education mm-hmm. and and do the training despite already being a working professional and so yeah it was like being away in this like fantasy world for four years where all you do is eat and breathe and sleep theater so what would a typical week look like for you schedule wise um so we were in class monday through friday classes starting at 9 a.m the last class i believe ended at like six o'clock And then you had an hour break to eat dinner. And if you were in a main stage production, you had rehearsals 7 to 11 during the week. And then Saturdays, you would have rehearsal 10 to 5. And then if you had 
any student run performances or student run productions you were in, those would always rehearse on Sundays. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there were many weeks it was, it was seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day, you were just kind of doing, uh, working on your craft, but it's incredible. You can't get a better education. I don't think. It also sounds like their program was willing to develop you as an artist because you've, you came in with such a strong resume and had so much experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I would say, you know, they were tougher on me probably too for that because they knew I, I'd done certain things already. And it's such a special program. And, and I feel really honored to have gotten a go there for, for those four years. Mr. Never Satisfied Blowing on my phone at night I bet you're probably drunk or high If you're calling me at 2am With the same old again You say you just need a friend I ain't falling for it You're thinking I care, I don't That was so yesterday It's too bad you can't move but don't forget it, baby, you're the one who cut me loose. And now you say you want me back. Well, boy, ain't it just like you to want what you can have? Oh. You're listening to Carolyn Miller with her acoustic version of What You Can Have, a song that she released in 2019. Now, once you graduated from school, did you set out to focus all of your energy on just musical theater? Um, No, it was more so just continuing the work. Um, I narrated a children's cartoon on PBS. I did 50-something episodes for them. That summer, I ended up recording a whole bunch of radio spots for Pepsi and TJ Maxx. And so continuing out of college... Um, was going back to auditions, doing these jobs and miscellaneous things, whether it was theater or film or TV. It was mm-hmm. my focus for, I'd say, the first five years out of school. You were in the um, My Big Gay, was it My Big Gay Italian Wedding Series? Yeah. They had three different off-Broadway productions. Yeah. Um, when did that happen and how did that all come about? So that came about, um, oh gosh, I want to say 2004. 15 maybe right around there i remember seeing um a a casting call for an immediate replacement for this one track and i just thought it was great and i was like this just reminds me so much of my family you know i have a big loud italian family (laughs) my mother's got a big loud italian voice you know (laughs) i had heard that you had a very unique audition oh gosh that was so fun so I took my comedic monologue that I normally do, and then I just inserted my mother's accent, and then I I just added a bunch of (laughs) F-bombs between (laughs) a lot of the sentences to kind of match the vibe of the show, you know, because I got to see it. So I had an idea of like, you know, just the comedic timing and the way they they Mm -hmm. act and spoke. And this has never happened to me in my life, and this is a wild story. I get three quarters of the way done with the monologue, and the director's like, stop, 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 stop. And he said to me, he's like, okay, I have a question for you. Are you around this weekend? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, it's Father's Day, Sunday. Would that be, like, a problem for you? I was like, no, what's what's going on? He's like, all right, how do you feel about making your off-Broadway debut this Sunday? Would your dad be okay with that? 
And I was like, wait, wait, what? Like my brain had to process. Literally, they offered me the role on the spot and they still had a waiting room full of girls. What I didn't know is that it was for an immediate replacement starting that weekend. So they had to get going in rehearsals and everything ASAP. And they were just like, you're it. They were like, when you leave this room, please don't say anything because we have to add a polite, you know, respect to everyone else, see everyone else. We'll call you in like two hours. I'm like, okay. I left. I called my now husband. I was like, I think I just booked an off-Broadway show. I'm very confused. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> and so anyway, lo and behold, the offer came through. Amazing. It was my first time being in a real true off-Broadway show where you could go to like TKTS and see a billboard in Times Square for a show and you have your name in the playbill and everything, you know? And so I had three days until my first rehearsal on Wednesday. And I only had one rehearsal. It wasn't even at the theater. It wasn't with the cast. It was with stage management and someone else. And basically the rehearsal was, okay, when you come in here, you enter on this line, you're entering stage left, make sure on this line, you don't forget to hand off this prop. It wasn't even like a real true, like run through. It was more just like, here's your blocking, here's what's up. And so I had four days, to, and I was a principal in the show. This wasn't like a small track. This was like one of the main people in the show. And so I had recorded on my iPhone every scene that I was in, and I read the parts of the other people, and then I left dead space where I would say my lines. So over the next couple of days, I would hook up to my Bluetooth speaker and then run through the blocking in my living room without the script, like as if I was on stage and hearing the other people say their lines and so I was like giving myself my own dress rehearsals. And so I get to the theater that night and uh, literally walk into the dressing room. I was like, hi, I'm Carolyn. I'm playing your daughter tonight. Hi, I'm Carolyn. I'm playing your sister tonight. Like, nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, it was such a wild experience because this cast, some of them have been in it for five, six years. Like they were truly a family, you know. So what happened on opening night? I didn't miss a single line or cue. And in fact, one of the other actors dropped a line and I actually covered for him. And so, <laughs> and so when, the next day that ends and the director calls me and he goes, all right, well, we've got seven more show dates for you. Are you around these dates to, uh, to fill in? So I was the go-to understudy for, for a while. And then when they did the other parts of the trilogy, they just kept pulling me on. And um, yeah, I got to play a couple different characters in that series. It was such a special experience. Sometimes you get so afraid to dream, safer than wanting what might not be. But safer is nowhere, and I don't wanna live that way. Looking over my shoulder, who's gonna slap me down? Instead of running fast and get my wings off the ground, I'm flying blind.
You made a decision to self-promote by putting out a few YouTube videos. Yep. Uh, now, were these cover songs or original songs? They were covers. So you put out these YouTube videos of cover songs, and then they took off virally. Like, you had large numbers of followers. Um, what prompted you to do all of that? Honestly, just pure boredom, pure hunger for more creativity, not feeling like I was singing as much as I wanted to and, and performing the way I wanted to be performing. And so when I, it's funny, you know, you, you say self-promotion, which I, I guess is what it was, but I mean, at the time I did it for no other reason other than it was just fun to take a spin on a song and share it with friends and family. And like that, that was my goal with it. That was what it was. It was not meant to be like, I'm going to start marketing myself as an artist. It really wasn't that at that time at all. It was just, I'm bored. I want to do something cool. And so did that YouTube video and, and like you had alluded to it, it got some great exposure. And all of a sudden I just kind of had this bug to like, huh, that's kind of, that was kind of interesting. Maybe I'll do another one of these. People seem to care and like it. It's pretty cool. It was in a bunch of newspapers and I mean, it just got really unexpected exposure. And so then I did another one with one of my friends. Megan Trainer herself had retweeted it and was like, everyone needs to follow Carolyn Miller, girl can sing. And I woke up one morning with like 4,000 extra followers. Wow. And I was like, what the heck is this? And then it was like, Megan Trainer tagged you in a post. And I was like, what? And so then, then, you know, I started basically organically and completely unintentionally developing a little bit mm -hmm. of a fan base and a little bit of an online following. And then from there, they were like, well, when are you putting out original music? You should think about putting out something. And I was like, but I'm an actress and I'm a musical theater girl. And, you know, I like to, I, I love to sing and do this stuff and I can make covers, but I'm not a songwriter. I don't know anything about the music industry. It's just funny that doors open where you least expect it. Well, it's, this is really an interesting period because this is like the transitional moment. So, you know, how did you make the decision and to transition to singing country music and what was it about the genre that really attracted you to that that particular type of music well i think that country music is the best storytelling genre in the world i mean it's founded on incredible lyrics incredible melodies real honest perspectives and it's just incredible storytelling and at the end of the day, that's what we all do as actors, you know, and in musicals, we're telling a story. I think that country just does that so beautifully. And when you actually dissect it, it's very theatrical and similar to, you know, a theater composer. And so mm -hmm. it felt like very natural material for me to sing and do. And so country now is like so much pop influences. It has R&B influences. It has even some rap mm -hmm. influences, you know. You have these crossover artists like Taylor Swift and Shania Twain and Faith Hill who kind of like, you know, blurred the lines a little bit. And so it was a great time for me to get into it because even though I was different and I was from New York and I came from a theater background, it was almost like cool to be different in country, you know, that I didn't grow up on the farm and my perspective on the sound was was a little bit different. So, I mean, I, I love the genre so much and, and it was just a right time for me to explore that route um i think in terms of the transition i never intentionally 
transitioned. Um, I just mm-hmm. was pursuing both equally and this thing just started becoming a little more interesting to me. It started, I started enjoying it a bit more. I started, um, you know, I fell in love with just like the people in the industry and, and the way it worked. And I was so hungry and fascinated to learn about it because it was something I didn't know anything about. It was a cold December night when we got off the train. Went to the bar on Front Street to end the night again. Not five minutes in, I see you there, standing with her and her long blonde hair. Something about you just don't seem right. And I hate that I gotta watch you avoiding me tonight. And I'm thinking, who are you with your slick back hair and a new tattoo? Drinking a drink, I've never seen you. Strangers in this bar. So, as this genre, as this experience of moving into country music was unfolding organically, and you being from New York, you know, I was reading where you really had to immerse yourself in the culture of country music. And in Nashville, you were traveling back and forth between. Uh, New York and Nashville to really learn the business, the country music business and the recording industry there. What was that experience like? Oh gosh, they're, well, they're so wildly different that I, I started out my venture into country music in a really unique way because most people start where, you know, they have the dream to be a singer, they move to town, they don't know anything about it. They kind of, you know, just start cutting their teeth, writing songs, maybe get a catch a lucky break with a show. And then they were super nervous. They get better, you know, and their career grows that way. Whereas I was coming in with the skill set of a seasoned performer and a veteran of the stage, like for my whole life, but then knew nothing about the business and the industry. So I was coming in like the complete opposite way where the other stuff was already built in there, but then the groundwork that would normally grow alongside with your skill set wasn't there because it was in a different field. And so I remember Googling the difference between like mixing and mastering. I didn't know what the difference was. I mean, someone was talking about the wedge on stage. I'm like, a wedge, what's that? And that's the little speaker monitor you have in front of your mic. These are just things that I had never been exposed to. Cause again, in the theater world, you're not using in-ear sets, you know, it's, it's, you're watching the conductor for your cues, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing every time with sound, you don't have to worry about bringing your own mic and having your own in-ears because, you know, the whole sound department's doing that for your show. So you had to learn a lot about these other sides and, and these things, but, you know, going to Nashville and, and seeing, I just tried to absorb as much as I could. I tried to go down as much as I could. I went by myself. I slept on friends' couches. Sometimes I stayed in really crappy rundown motels outside the city just because they were super cheap and I could rent a car for, you know, really cheap and drive around and catch as many writers round, catch as many shows, try to sneak my way into as many events and networking things as possible and try to just try to just be immersed in the scene. And I mean, I was doing that and I didn't even play my first show in Nashville for the year. The first year I was just like 
trying to figure out how the whole thing worked. And then once I felt like I really had a good idea of how it all worked, that's when then I was like, all right, I feel like now I'm ready to release my music. I feel like now I'm ready to start booking shows. And I'm glad I waited because, you know, by the time my EP came out, it ended up hitting number seven during pre-order on the iTunes country charts. And I felt like it came at a time where it wouldn't just fall on deaf ears Uh versus if I released it before then. Are you awake? Cause I can't sleep. All the things you did running through my head, it's really getting to me. I've always been the kind of So here we have the uh, title track from your debut EP, Unbreakable. And with the success of this record, you were able to enroll uh, top songwriters, producers, um, other industry professionals. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, the way, and it's funny, the way my EP came about, and this is kind of a cool story too, but so at the time I was doing one of those YouTube covers, you know, that we were talking about earlier that kind of started it all and um we were having a little rehearsal mm-hmm. at my apartment for the next video we were doing this like taylor swift justin bieber mashup or whatever and my friend who was supposed to play guitar backed out he had something he couldn't do it so my friend who was playing the cajon was like i have a friend i'll bring him in he's great like you'll really like him and i was like all right if you think he's good totally fine i trust you you've got great ears so the door rings and i open the door and it's i'm not even kidding right it's this 17 year old kid and I'm like, are you at the right place? Like, I'm so confused. Like, you know, I'm like, I was, and so he's like, yeah, I'm here for, I was like, oh, hey, come on in. And I was so thrown because the kid was so young. He was still in high school. Like he was about to go to his senior prom or whatever. Starts playing guitar, brilliant guitar player. I'm like, I'd offer you a beer, but you're too young to drink. I don't even know, like, <laughs> you know, and so we're having this little rehearsal and um, the kid was brilliant. And he starts talking about, cables and studio equipment and just has a wiser beyond his age kind of thing going on and I'm like all right what's your backstory because you're not just like a normal 17 year old kid like you know what you're talking about and he was like oh my dad's you know a really big producer and I said oh who's Mm -hmm. your dad and uh he said oh his name's Rusty Salvo and I was like that's cool and I, I kind of put it in the back of my head because I was like, I'm going to Google. Because, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, I'm a producer. But then <laughs> you look them up and they're like, you can't find anything on them. So I was like, all right. So so he leaves. I go to Google who this is. And Wikipedia explodes. Every website explodes. Russ DeSalvo, producer for Celine Dion, Lionel Richie, Carlos Santana, won ASCAP Songwriter of the Year Award. And I'm like, oh, my God, this all makes sense. No wonder this kid is, first of all, amazing. And second of all, like, 
he's not kidding. His dad is like really something. And so at our next rehearsal, we, we were talking again and, and he was like, you know, I, I'd like to introduce you to my dad. I think you guys, I was like, please do. That'd be amazing. Anyway, long story short, met his dad and his dad really liked what he heard. And, and he was the one who looked me in the eye and said, Carolyn, like, you are an artist. You have to do something with this. Like you have to do an EP like this. You are someone that needs to do something. And so I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It was a couple thousand dollars at the time. I was like, you know, I didn't have the money to just put away, you know, $5,000 to make a CD, you know, Mm -hmm. long story short, he's like, I'll help you. And so because he had these contacts, he reached out to his collaborators in New York, LA and Nashville and basically said, think Carrie Underwood meets Kelly Clarkson, you know, country, but still with New York, not too country, big, powerful vocals, send us what you have in your catalogs. And so we got pitched then like over, over a hundred songs, probably even closer to 200 songs. And Amazing. for the next couple months, I mean, I combed through these songs with a fine tooth comb. I listened to them on repeat over and over and over again uh-huh. until I found the five songs that ended up being the ones for the EP that were like, Mm-hmm. This is my story. I lived this. How did I not write this song? This is so me, you know? And so, and that's, and that's how the EP then was born. So how selective are you about the type of material you choose to record? I would think it has to be a part of your identity. It has to oh, be yeah. something maybe you had lived once before. 100%, 100%. And, and if it's not something I necessarily lived, it has to be something that I can connect with enough that I can, you know, channel me as an actress and and be emotionally invested in the story or and if it's not literally a matchup for me it's got to be that i'm just so obsessed with with the melody and the song itself you know i have to feel so connected to it in one way or another whether it's my personal truth or it's an emotional truth where i can tap into that story you know i get real quiet every time i overthink you Close and whisper in my ear, baby girl, breathe. I know you have a tendency to hold everything in, but baby, let it go. You know I'm here, I'm listening. I'm all in. I'm all in. You know I'm scared of failure ever since. So when you're working with a producer and a songwriting team, how much input do you have with them? Or I guess it depends on the producer or the team in terms of the trust that you have in them to make the record. Yeah, I have a lot. I mean, right now as an independent artist, I have full control over what I record, when I record it, when I release it, how I want it to sound, what songs I want to do, who I want to work with. Um, Mm -hmm. So I choose all this for myself, I choose the writers to team up with. I ch- I choose the songs. You know, I have I have go to writers that I'll I'll try to write with more often than others, or who I know just write for my sound and style. And I'll be like, hey, what do you have in your catalog? Anything that could work? I'm looking for a ballad, or I'm looking for an up tempo, or whatever it is. Um, and then my producers are good friends of mine. We've been friends for a couple of years now, and. Um, they've been behind a lot with the exception of the unbreakable EP, which was Russ up here in New York, everything has been done now in Nashville. And so the stage we're at is, um, I've got six songs that are in the process of being mixed. And so we have zoom calls a couple days a week and we're going through things with a fine tooth comb and it's everything from, Hey, lower the acoustic, 
out of the right speaker mm-hmm. at this one section to I don't like how this is ending. Let's loop the intro and make that part of the outro. And I want to do a riff thing here. So it's very collaborative, which I love, like we were saying earlier too. Um, but I'm very lucky that the position I'm at is I have full control. So everything that goes out, ultimately I have the final say and steering the ship, which is which is cool. That's really smart. And it's uh, really great that you have the ability to have that amount of control. Yeah. That's the secret. Now, you just released uh, a new song called Flatline, which we featured at the top of the show. You also have some new music coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that as well as what's ahead for you in the future. Sure. So Flatline um, has actually been the opening number at my live shows for quite a bit of time now. I just, I, I love kicking my shows off with a big a big bang, you know, mm-hmm. something that gets the crowd going, a lot of energy, something that's very exciting. And so that song has been my opening number for a bit. Um, and I never had it released. And so I was like, gosh, I need to do something with the song. So last year I recorded it and then the pandemic happened. And then because I had ain't about that and all in flatline kind of just went on hold for a little while. And so as we got through 2020 and we entered 2021, I was just like, Flatline has never been more relevant than right now because of the themes of perseverance and getting back up and keeping on fighting. And I feel like it's just something that everyone could apply to after the year we've all had. And the video is going to feature all my fans and followers comeback stories. And then I have a whole series of songs that I've written that will finally be coming out. Um, And my plan is once every six weeks to release a new song. So even though Flatline just came out, I'm already doing all the behind the scenes and prep for the next song. And then I'm sure before that song even comes out, I'll be working on the cover art and the marketing plan for the next song. So, you know, it all, it keeps on going and there, there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes and the stuff takes time. So that's what I'm working on right now. But I think the thing that I'm most excited about with this new series of songs is any song I've released thus far has been written by other people. Um, even though in my shows and live streams, I do songs that I wrote all the time, they've never been officially recorded and released. So this is the first time that my original songs are, are going to be out there and fans get to hear the words that I've written. So I'm pretty excited about that. Well, I think we can all be really excited about what's ahead for you. Really looking forward to seeing and hearing more of your work in the coming year. Carolyn Miller, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. This was so much fun, and anytime I'd do it again. I loved it. My thanks to Carolyn Miller for sharing her musical journey with us. You can check out all of Carolyn's music on your favorite music streaming platform. And be sure to subscribe to our show by visiting our website at lifeinthegrooves.com or lifeinthegroovespodcast.com. Life in the Grooves is produced by Tour de Force Entertainment Group. If you like what you've heard, please take a moment to share, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Charles Urich. Thanks for listening. I ain't gonna flatline.